we've got a vision and that vision is to help a thousand law firm owners grow by over a million dollars each to create a billion dollar impact in the industry. No matter your goal, processes and systems will help you get there faster. Take it from an expert. And my role changes and evolves with that to make sure that we're on track to hit that target. According to a recent survey, only 19% of managing partners in U.S. law firms are female. We would like to see that change. Hello, and welcome to LawHer, the show where we celebrate the trailblazing attorneys and entrepreneurs who are changing the game for women in the legal field. Be inspired by their stories, learn from their mistakes, and look forward to the future they're helping build for the next generation of women in law. I am Sonia Palmer, your host and VP of Operations at Rankings, the SEO agency of choice for personal injury lawyers. This is LawHer. Jessica Mogul's official title is Head of Coaching Strategy at Crisp, but she has done it all, from sales to systems. If Crisp Video is the train, Jessica has laid the tracks while gaining speed. Her background in industrial engineering and business consulting has helped the agency grow to over 40 million in just nine years. Today, we dive into asking for and taking help, why you needed to implement systems yesterday, and establishing boundaries around the non-negotiables in your life. Jessica, before her role at Crisp, was an engineer, and it's no secret that women are wildly underrepresented in STEM. She takes us back to her time in Auburn as one of a handful of female students. Let's dive in. I grew up loving numbers and math, and I essentially knew I did not want to be a teacher, and I did not want to be an accountant. And so I was kind of left with not that many options. My mom will even go back to say when I was little at the grocery store, like I would try to count the change faster than the cashier would give it back. And so like my head has just always been going and going. And so I landed a full ride scholarship to Auburn and I grew up, if anyone is an SEC football fan, I'm a massive Alabama fan. My dad went there. I was going to go there. And then I got a full ride to Auburn at their engineering school. And you can't really say no to that. Nope, that'll do it. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> Congratulations. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So at Auburn, did you have expectations around like what your educational experience would be like? And then how was it different from what you expected? Really thinking back, I mean, at 18, what do you know? It was like, okay, I'm going to pick up, I'm going to move away. And I knew that there were not many women engineers. So I did anticipate that, of course. But I think hindsight is always 2020. And there are certain classes that are like, did I really need that? Was that really necessary? And so I think also just there's so much self-awareness that I have now that I didn't have then. And that's something I really hope to instill in our daughters as well. Like there's so many life things to learn. But if I had to do it all over again, this day and age, knowing what I know, I don't know that I would do the same thing. (laughs) That's an excellent point. I do think that college, like formal education is undervalued for its life experiences and they tend to overvalue it for education, like learning skills. And you can substitute the life experiences elsewhere, but you still need to intentionally do that. So absolutely. Yes. So then where did your degree sort of lead you? So when I first graduated, I worked actually for like um, Capgemini. So it's a big consulting firm, kind of like Accenture. Did that for a couple of years, realized like, hey, you're kind of a cog in the wheel. There's 70,000 employees globally. And I just 
I wasn't fulfilled there. I knew I wasn't. And so that actually then led me to go like full engineering and I'm an industrial engineer. So my brain never turns off. I am constantly thinking about how things can be done better and faster and more efficiently, whether it's at crisp or whether I'm somewhere in unknown experience. And so I went to work for a company actually in Indiana and it was like materials handling and warehouses. So believe it or not, I had to invest in a hard hat. I had to invest in some steel toe boots and that was my life. I was in and out of factories. I mean, Girl Scout cookie factory, got to see where the, all the magic happens, where they make those. Went to like the Honda factories where, you know, they are all of the cars on the line, everything. And so I don't regret any of that. Definitely learned a lot. And that is the place I will say a thousand percent women were very, very underrepresented when it came to that field, for sure. I was like a sore thumb walking into these warehouses. Mm-hmm. I believe it. You got like the full engineer experience with the hard hat and the steel oh, all toe of boots. It. Steel toe boots. <laughs> If anyone ever finds cute steel toe boots, I would love to know. (laughs) I searched and searched. I'll keep an eye out. (laughs) (laughs) And then ultimately you kind of decided that you didn't want to kind of stay on that path. How did you transition then to business consulting? So candidly, what happened and it's the day of social media. And I guess if you even want to go back to college and how things just come full circle, I had a few friends on social media and I saw they were traveling all the time. And they looked like, of course, that glamorous lifestyle that everyone thinks when you're traveling all the time and it is not, but I was really just interested. You know, I was in my mid twenties and I was like, I have no reason to not do this right now. And Fortunately, I knew this girl well enough and she was really, she was a leader at this company, hired me on the spot. I did not even interview for it and went in and decided, all right, this is what I'm going to do. And I trained over 300 offices across the U.S. once I entered that profession. Wow. Did you pull any lessons that you had learned like during engineering into business consulting? Absolutely. So it doesn't always seem like it will translate. Industrial engineering, for those of you who don't know, is really like the most business-sided one. Like I took statistics classes upon statistics classes. And like, I mean, literally, I remember one of the test problems being like, okay, you've got an iPod and you have 5,000 songs and you put it on shuffle. Like, what are the probabilities that you hear the same song twice in an hour? Like, that's just constantly in my head and that's how my brain just operates. And so being in those classes from 18 years old until, you know, now those things are constantly in my head. So even when I would go into a warehouse, I was there to look at it and say, how can I make this more efficient? Do I need to install a conveyor belt here? Do we need to build a robot here? Like, what is it that I need to do to make this better and faster? And what is the business at the end of the day, you've got to make it better. You've got to make it faster. You've got like, that is what you do at the core of any business. Mm -hmm. You mentioned loving numbers. And of course, numbers are very important to businesses. (laughs) So I do think it's a very natural transition. Yes, exactly. Put me with the spreadsheet and I am as happy as can be. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. And then over eight years ago, uh, when you joined Crisp, it was for 30 day stint. (laughs) Can you tell us that story? Yes. So I was living my life as a consultant. I was in 12 cities a month. I think my record, I flew 175,000 miles in one year. 
And it was time to hang up that hat. And Michael and I, for the record, we were already in a relationship. I always make that so clear. (laughs) So I was coming up on a transitional phase and I was like, I really don't know what I want to do next. And he's like, Oh, I've got this company. Why don't you come in for 30 days? Like I'll pay you. I just want you to, you know, do an assessment, see what's happening, what's going on. And next month we'll mark eight years of this 30 day stint that we've been on. Wow. That's amazing. So then what is your role with CRISP? Can you explain that? So I think I do a little bit of everything. And I will say, I mean, especially in the beginning, when I came in with Michael, there were seven people on the team and none of those seven are here anymore. I will say that. And I kind of came in and wreaked havoc. If if you're not a process person and you were, I mean, people were used to showing up when they wanted to, and maybe they showed up, maybe they didn't. And, you know, I was like, this is not how this is going to function. And so through all of that, honestly, like for a long time, I guess my title was director of operations. And then we just grew and scaled and got to a point that it's not that I didn't want to do that anymore, but then we also had kids. And so it was like, I have done so much and I have done every night and every weekend for probably, I guess, five years straight at that point. And I was like, all right, it's time to just take a step back. And we brought in a COO. We've got an amazing leadership team. And so now if we have to land on a title, I am not a titles person. It is head of coaching strategy. So what I essentially do is make sure that the messaging is congruent with all of the coaching programs that we offer from, you know, our top level and all the way across to their team members and making sure that everything is just consistent across the board. Often with companies that scale very quickly, the people that you start with are not the people that you end with. Right. There's an evolution that takes place. So that makes sense. And I'm an operations person. And I do also think that when the operations are good, like the person sort of overseeing that their role can evolve. Like you can kind of step out and go do something else because you got it in working order. So I think that's excellent. And that's the goal. I think of any great yes. operators, you get it to a point where it's like, all right, this can run, we can do this. And it doesn't require me every second of every day. Now, I'm sure we'll talk about this because you don't just step away entirely, but there's no. always checks and balances in place, always. Yes. Yeah, yes, completely. Crisp has doubled in revenue every year, hits its targets. So how has that role evolved? Yes, yes. So... I will first say that I think the biggest pain you could ever inflict on someone is like a massive operational challenge overnight. So when we had our first summit in 2018, we had no idea what to expect. And I will say in a matter of two days, our company essentially tripled. So we went from being a $5 million company in 2017 to now over $16 million company in two days. And I was eight months pregnant. So it was the perfect storm. Um, that you can ever really ask for. And so my role has drastically changed. I mean, even since then, like in the beginning, I was literally doing everything from booking travel and I was running payroll. I was, you know, at that point we only had video offerings. I was going to shoots and flying across the country to project manage them. I was building the booths at all of these legal events and trade shows and conferences that we went to. And I was doing sales. Honestly, that's how um, the first process ever came to be on a little tangent, but Michael did not have a sales process and he was doing literally everything inbound. And so anything that came in, he would get on the phone, close the deal. I mean, I'm telling you at this point, we were working with dentists, 
we filmed a beef jerky conference once. <laughs> like I will tell you when I came, we say we came from nothing. Like you took every deal you could get. Uh-huh. And so I was like, Michael, there's gotta be a process. Like, what is it that you're saying that's working, blah, blah, blah. So of course I document this process. I shadow him, I shadow him. And I was like, great, I have this process. So now I'm going to hand this process over to the next person we hire. And we're going to test the process. Michael in his very expeditious ways said, actually, we're (laughs) going to change the inbound number and it's going to ring to you now. And you're going to test the process. And that's how I knew the process worked. I became a salesperson. (laughs) So I just think with like, evolution of everything is like, now my role is really to help shape the future of coaching. So we have been able to, like I said, hire amazing leaders. I mean, when I first had Mila, our oldest one in 2018, I literally ran payroll from the hospital. Like I have a photo of me in the hospital bed running payroll. And that was kind of my moment of like, two people in this company know how to run payroll, Michael and me, and we're both in the hospital right now. So it's just ever evolving. Unfortunately, I'm out of so many of those details, but we've got a vision and that vision is to help a thousand law firm owners grow by over a million dollars each to create a billion dollar impact in the industry. And my role changes and evolves with that to make sure that we're on track to hit that target. You just laid out a very like perfect natural progression. I'm very excited to talk to you about processes. And uh, the just the verbiage that you use like is music to my ears because I think people overcomplicate them. And it's really like what you said, it's documented. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm going to do it. I'm going to write down what I did. And then I'm going to try again. And I'm going to use it. I'm going to see what breaks. So for you to do that with sales, which wasn't necessarily your like natural forte. My forte. <laughs> but then you just did it with coaching too. So it's like okay, I figured out how to do this. Now I'm going to go teach other people how to do this. So it makes, it's a, it's a perfect transition. It makes sense. Yes. And I mean, I will say with that with, and I, I tell firms this all the time, like, I don't care if it's you and you're a solo person and you have no one else. I don't care if your team is like 200 people. The time to start processes was yesterday. Like if you don't have them, like, now and now, 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 especially the smaller firms, I actually really encourage them because I'm like, if I knew then what I know now, I would have structured things so differently. <laughs> yes. And remotely, I think a lot of people struggled with that going from being in person to remote. And they're like, well, we don't know how to do this. Right. <laughs> We're not looking at each other. It's one thing to sort of like listen to podcasts, read books on business development. Uh, but sometimes it's just, they don't implement it. What do you think firm owners, even the solo attorneys can do to ensure that those processes are implemented in the first place? I say start now, like big, small, anything. And as morbid as it sounds, I literally tell people, what if you got hit by a bus tomorrow? Yeah, we follow that principle too. (laughs) Truly what happens if you get hit by a bus? Like this is, you know, it's a real thing. And my thing with processes is of course document. And I really reiterate to people like they are living, breathing documents processes are never done that like what we did in 2017 doesn't work now and that's fine you just have to stay on top of it i highly recommend like a platform of some sort to house everything and just making sure that it's it's all there together and then honestly in terms of like making them them work and making the the sure that they're implemented i live by trust but verify so we actually, at the size that we're at now, we have a full-time auditor 
this person's job is literally to audit anything from sales calls uh, to inboxes to mm. like literally, yes, <laughs> I know you're like music to my ears. <laughs> An idea. <laughs> this is literally, oh yes, it is like kind of a dream role for me. I'm not going to lie, but it's probably not the highest and best use of my time. But really going off of that and just like, trust, but verify. And I never ever assume like ill intent with anything. And then I also always say like, it always comes back to the leader and Michael, we actually had our monthly all hands meeting this morning. And if you do not tell someone what great looks like, they will determine their own great. And so he used this example and said, all right, I want you guys to book a hotel, a really nice hotel. One person might book the Ritz. One person might book the Waldorf. One person might book the Lowe's everyone's definition of great is different. And so really, really looking at that and saying like, okay, define that for them. And when it really comes into like organizing and actual processes and things like that, I even do still spot check everything while it's not my job to be the full-time auditor. That's what you got to do. And I think any business owner, like you have to be willing to get in those details sometimes. Yes. Brene Brown in her newest book, Atlas of the Heart, refers to that as paint it done. So her team will go to her and say like, okay, paint this done. What does it actually look for you when it's complete? So I think that's as the leader, you have to tell them what it looks like when it's finished. Absolutely. Because they'll define it themselves. And you know, sometimes it's right. Sometimes it's not right, but you can't get mad at the end of the day. If you didn't tell them, you can't get, you can't get upset about it. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So, so many of the women that we talk to on this podcast have started their own firms, largely because the like seven, seven workday is not working for them. For women looking to start their own firms or kind of strike out on their own, is there anything that you see there that could make an impact for them? Absolutely. I could probably talk about this forever because it's been a hard thing for me. Like, I mean, I not like complete control freak, but I came in to do operations. So to some level, I'm a control freak. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And over time, not having just one kid, but two kids now, like you do have to step back. And so I think for any woman, especially if they're a mother, you got to be easy on yourself sometimes. And it's so much easier said than done, but I don't know if you've ever seen Shonda Rhimes. She did the commencement speech at Dartmouth. And have you seen this? Yes. Yes. And I mean, I even literally know like the timestamp of when she did this, but like nothing has ever rang truer to me because she was basically they're like, you know, how do you do it all? And her answer simply was, I don't. And the reality is like, I'm like not even an emotional person. And it like hit me so hard because she's like, the reality is while I'm here, something is suffering with my children. While I'm at home at bath time, something at my business is suffering. And so that's just the truth. Like you, you cannot do it all. And it truly does take a village. Like I'm so fortunate. I've got both sets of parents that are able to help with that as well. But I think any woman going into that, like you just have to define your non-negotiables. So when our first daughter was born, non-negotiable, I was going to be home every night for bath time. And that still rings true right now. I leave at six o'clock every day. I will get back on if I need to work until midnight, but my non-negotiable is that I will be there with my children every night of bed. And so I think it's really, really important that someone defines that because then you can't get frustrated later. And you're like, all right, everyone knows like nothing on my calendar is going to get booked beyond that. Of course there are exceptions, the summit, you know, things like that. (laughs) 
Um, but at least defining that up front. And I will say anyone who's telling you they're doing it perfectly, they're lying like they are. And there are moments, of course, where you're like, I really should be at this or I should be at that and take the help. It's one thing to even ask for the help, but also take the help. So true. I I have loved listening to these very powerful, very business-minded women who are mothers kind of talk about their non-negotiables. So the bath time and like, sometimes it's just, I'm packing my kids lunch. Like that's, I want to do that no matter what. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm picking them up from school. I will not miss a game. So I think that non-negotiable, whatever it is, like it could be the most simple thing or the most complex thing, define it for yourself. Exactly. And then you can communicate it. So absolutely. I love that. And I do think for women in general, trying to break out of that traditional law firm or business, systems and processes are your friend. (laughs) You can improve efficiency. I can do this up and I can delegate. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We cannot do all things all the time. Hire the right people for the job. Jessica shares how Crisp hones in on the people who will make the most positive impact. Yes, yes. So a few things here, if anyone's ever heard anything about the way that we hire or do anything, we use a lot of assessments. So we use the print assessment, which is really why you do what you do. And we use the Colby assessment, which is how you do what you do. We do look for certain scores within those, but to kind of summarize that without using those scores, I really look for someone who is very objective. Like they cannot look at things emotionally and or subjectively. So if someone is building processes or, you know, they're looking at something, it's like, I want to look at this really from our top performer, because what happens all the time is we go gravitate straight to the bottom performer. And we're like, okay, well, if we build this process, then I don't know, Sally's probably not going to be able to meet her quota. And I'm like, why are we focusing on Sally? You know? And so Definitely someone who is super objective and really looking at things again, not from an emotional standpoint, and also being able to be a good communicator. And for example, I mean, we do still do video. Videos are premiered every day at our morning huddles, and the entire team rates them. It's almost like a focus group before each one. And even reminding there, we're critiquing the edit, not the editor, not the person who did it. We are critiquing the edit itself. And so really just looking for someone who is able to keep things very objective, also being able to poke holes in things. I think that is like challenging the status quo and like, why has it been done this way forever? What if we tried it this way? So definitely a lot of characteristics there in terms of just making sure that things are are right. And really looking at it, like even when someone says, Hey, I like to organize or I like processes, like that means something different to every person. It's kind of like the hotel question. And so really digging into that. And and we test for that actually in our hiring process before we even do hire someone of like, what is their ability to do this? These types of roles attract people who are very dedicated to quality. They like things to be correct. And you can very quickly micromanage via a checklist. Exactly. And try to sort of make sure that an error never happens and you, you can't, errors are still going to happen. Mistakes are still going to happen. Of course. Of course. So the objective I think is key that they're not going to attempt to micromanage via the processes that they're creating. Exactly. Excellent. Uh, you mentioned Colby and the assessments that you use at Chris. For those unaware, what is that in broad strokes? What do those numbers mean? 
Colby in quick, dirty terms is how you operate. So like if you were had the freedom to be yourself, how would you go about solving a problem? My natural inclination, you're also an operator. This is a big assumption, but I would assume that your way of solving something is probably to gather information and to organize that information. And then now I'm going to go make a plan. Some people, their natural inclination is to be like, I've got 50 ideas and I need to spit out all of my ideas and then I will go work. (laughs) You're like, I feel that. That sounds exhausting. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. But all of them are really strengths. And so when we have every candidate take this, like we're very clear, their assessments, you cannot fail them. And then the print assessment is why you do the things that you do. And so that's a lot more of kind of like your culture, your upbringing, like your motives, your motivations, things like that. And so when I referenced that and saying an operations person, for example, one of my numbers is to be perfect, correct, and right. (laughs) So (laughs) it's a great person to have an operation. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yeah, so we really look at these to make sure that you know, we're putting people where they're going to best operate because as much as we want Chris to be a great fit for them, like we want it to work both ways. And so we want to make sure that they're also going to be set up for success. And that's really where I come back to before, even when I said, I'm so much more self-aware now, I think when you interview someone and they do say something like, Oh yes, I really love processes and details. And then like their Colby comes back and it's not that I'm not saying that they said that maliciously. They literally just don't know that about themselves. Mm -hmm. I think that oftentimes when you do assessments like that, you learn more about yourself than you you did initially. You knew. Oh, absolutely. We've had candidates that we've even like rejected. Thank us for just even investing in those assessments. Cause I'm like, go use these, like find your dream job based upon what you know are your strengths now. So you use it in the hiring process. Yes. So we use it essentially from the start. I will not do a final interview with someone unless they have taken these assessments along with Wonderlick. So we kind of look at all three parts of the mind. So do they have like the cognitive ability What's their motivations? And then how are they going to problem solve this? And so we really use it for role alignment and just making sure that we've got people in the right seats. And so I always go back to this example of one of our team members, probably about five years ago, she interviewed for marketing assistant and she took all of her assessments and Michael are like, she sales all the way. She sales. I know she sales. And she like did not even know that she was sales. We end up bringing her in and she is, she probably in about, it was under two years for sure. She sold over $1.5 million for us. And it was just having the right person in the right seat. Like that's the thing. And I mean, we love her. She's gone back to Florida, opened her yoga studio. She's doing her own thing. And randomly will text Michael and me. And she's like, I had dreams last night about you guys setting targets and in my ear, like all of this, <laughs> but that was the thing. And like, now she's so successful. She's launched her, like I said, her own business now and to be able to see that. And she has that realization of herself too, of like, now who does she need to surround herself with to make her business work? I love that. And it shows how invaluable tools like this can be because without them, it's sort of like, oh, I'm looking for this type of person. And then that person puts their hand up. It's like, oh, that's me. And it's not them. <laughs> right, right. And I always go back, like, it's not ill intent. It's not malicious. Like some people just want to help and they think that's them, but then it's not them. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's it's not just necessarily about disqualifying someone from a position, but you were able to plug them in to a different role that they then excelled at. So it's a positive versus a negative. I love Yes. That. And the way that Colby, I always like explain this and I give them credit for this because they were the ones that really broke it down. It's like, try writing your name with your non-dominant hand. 
versus your dominant hand. And so I can know your Colby and your print, and I can put you in a position to where you get to write with your dominant hand and it comes naturally and it comes freely and it's more organized and it's less stressful. Or I can put you in one where you're literally just working against your grain and it's painful and it's messy and it's slow and it's stressful. Like why, why do that? If you have the ability to know that about someone. Cause it's not like you can't do it. It's just a lot more difficult. Exactly. We know that women are drastically underrepresented in the legal industry, particularly at the executive level. With outside investment flooding the market soon, the legal landscape is changing. This is a major focus of the upcoming CRISP conference in Atlanta. Jessica shares with us what to expect. We did the first one in 2018 and you know, Michael, he can't do anything small. I think we started off saying, Hey, we're going to have like 200 people there. We ended up with over 500 people there. We knew at this point when we decided to do this, like no one in the legal industry is asking for another legal conference. (laughs) We were very, very aware of that. But what we did see was basically they were all on how to be a better lawyer, how to be a better the trials, but they really had no focus on being a leader. They had no focus on building a team, how to grow and scale. Like there was no business of law essentially. And candidly, people were like in the back of the rooms on their laptops. Like they're just not, you know, it it was not an experience. And so we knew like, Hey, we can make this more engaging. We can make this more exciting. We're going to bring in people from the legal industry and beyond. Like that's the thing at the core of this. And you know, my last profession, I was consulting and coaching dentists, chiropractors, plastic surgeons. It's all the same. Like at the core of running a business, it's all the same. And so when we decided to do this and, you know, we also said, this is a great platform for women. I think last year we did the women's legal leaders panel. Like, I don't know any other conference that was like, we're going to do a women's panel. And I will tell you very candidly, the feedback was polarizing Mm. because some people loved that. And then there were obviously some men out there who said this added no value to me. And you know what? We weren't doing that for you. Um, Yes. (laughs) I mean, it's true, but you know what? We're willing to put ourselves out there anyway, because at the end of the day, like we, you know, our very first year we had Jan Dills. She did that. Judy Smith was there and we want to give a platform for that. And with the summit to really be able to talk about leadership, culture, operations, infrastructure, things that like no one else is really talking about. And so just really being able to create that experience as well. I mean, you know, Michael's giving away cars left and right. Sometimes I literally like open the (laughs) Tesla app and like, what is happening right now? (laughs) What are you giving away now, Michael? (laughs) Yes. And I mean, where, what other event are you going to? Like literally during the event, there's like a DJ. Yes. We're having an after party. Yes. We're having other things, but like we wanted to focus this event every year on experience. And it's like, how do we make it bigger and better and like, just continue to give a platform to people. Yes. You guys do an incredible job. Well, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Please keep having the female led panels. How often have women had to sit and an audience and extract value from an all male (laughs) panel. Yes. Yes. And I don't see any women leaving feedback saying I couldn't relate because it was a man. Yeah. No, I don't know that then anyone's ever said that. So I, yes, please keep doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Good to know. Yes. I completely agree with you on like lawyers, attorneys, 
professional services in general, doctors, dentists, plumbers, electricians, they are, they're great at their craft, not necessarily running a business. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And they don't know how and accounting and marketing and uh, hiring Holding a team. No one tells you what to like. I mean, when I came in candidly, Michael had no process. Like there was nothing. And it's like, yeah, I just hired. Cause I like them or because they said this and it's like, no, you can do so much better. And then it's like you said, even with all the capital coming in, like, is your firm investable at the end of the day? Yes. Yes. Super important. Which women speakers are you looking forward to the most? So we have not released everyone. Um, I will say we are bringing back and I'm very, very excited to bring back Cy Wakeman. She was one of our highest rated speakers last year. Um, If no one has read her books, like they 1000% literally changed my life um, and changed the way that we run our business. And so Cy is always wonderful to hear. I mean, she's been on the podcast twice. Like she, we're, we are very, very aligned and really the way that we view things in terms of business and culture. I love that. What's next for you and Chris? We are always looking for ways to expand our ecosystem and really just to like put that into context. So we really always want our ecosystem to be growing and developing with that. And so then we went to marketing, then we went to coaching and to be completely honest, we look forward to sharing our next addition to the ecosystem at the summit, but there will be an addition to the ecosystem coming. Amazing. So we can uh, look forward to that. I love it. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I got one more for you. All right. What are you reading right now? Well, I am reading Michael's second book, to be completely honest. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow I was not fully in that process with the first book. And this book, I am like head down completely in it. We're like reviewing two, three chapters a week. And so that has consumed my life right now. But I am very, very excited about this book. Whatever your vision is, set up systems. When the clients come streaming in, your firm will be able to handle the load and work in your zone of genius and delegate the rest. For 25% off of your ticket to the Crisp Summit in Atlanta, go to crispsummit.com and enter the promo code rankings. This is one not to miss. Huge thank you to Jessica for sharing her story and unbelievable insights with us today. You have been listening to Lawher with me, Sonia Palmer. If you found this content insightful, inspiring, or just made you smile, please share this episode with the trailers in your life. For more about Jessica, check out our show notes. And while you're there, please leave us a review or a five-star rating. It really goes a long way for others to discover the show. And I will see you next week on Lawher, where we'll shed light on how another of the brightest and boldest women in the legal industry climbed to the top of her field. Mm-hmm.